Hi, I'm Beck Rayner and this is the Military Wife Life Podcast, a podcast that celebrates, empowers, supports and embraces the women behind the military men by building connections, acknowledging our strength, focusing on self-care and our mental health. Let's do this together. Welcome, Lisa, to the Military Wife Life podcast. You and your husband have been together for over 10 years. Can you tell me how you guys met? Uh, We met in Sydney. Um, My friend from Victoria uh, was up visiting and she had done uh, cadets and knew some defence people that lived close by. So she wanted to catch up with them. So I had dancing on that night. So I dropped her off and then met them after and just hit it off straight away. Obviously, when you met, you knew he was in defence. Did that change your mind about going forward with the relationship? Uh, Not really. My dad was defence, so I have always known defence life, so it didn't sway me either way. You guys could obviously go forward from there and start dating and see each other because you lived in the same location? For a couple of months until he got posted, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So so by the time he got posted, were you a couple, like official, or how did it work when he posted? Yeah, we pretty much became a couple straight away, and um, that was in March and then in August he moved to Darwin. And did you do long distance or how did how did you work it? So we did long distance until March the next year and then I moved up. In saying that your dad was army, did that deter you in any way in wanting to have a relationship with someone in defence or that actually gave you a good introduction of what it was like to be in the defence community? It didn't sway me either way. Like as a defence kid, I didn't really have any major issues or problems and I know it was just a part of life that I guess the, one of the parental or husband and wife spent time apart. That was normal for me. And I guess maybe you already had that community around you, so you wanted to stay within it maybe? Yeah. So what does your husband do in the army and does it take him away a fair bit or how does his job work? So he's a diesel mechanic. So it really depends what unit he's at, whether he goes away or is at home. So if it's like a construction unit, they go away a lot, like an aviation unit don't really. So it just depends. What will the near future hold for him regarding postings and deployments? Well, at the unit he's at at the moment, they'll probably have a fair few field trips. As for postings, we're going to try and stay put in Brisbane as long as possible or at least South Queensland as long as possible. We're hopeful to get at least six years here. Once you had moved from Sydney to be with your husband or then partner, what was your introduction to defence life like? I guess it's a bit different going from being an army kid to an army spouse. What was it like to make that transition? So that first move was from Sydney to Darwin and it, it was so different because it's a completely different lifestyle in Darwin to Sydney, especially 12 years ago. So it was just a real wake up call. I had no idea. I didn't know what to expect and I didn't know anything about Darwin except for like Crocodile Dundee. Yeah. So yeah, it was just a big shock. My first couple of days up there, um, people got thrown off the bus for excessive alcohol and abuse. And the, the day that I moved into my apartment, there was a crocodile in the pool. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and so how did you go from there? Um, how long were you guys in Darwin for? And then where did you post after that? So we were in Darwin for two years. So we got engaged 
while we were up there and uh, we had our wedding while we were up there, but we traveled down to Sydney for the wedding. And we originally got a posting to say that we would be there for another three years. So like we got married in the July and then, yeah, we got a posting straight away to say we'd be there for another three years. And then we got a random new posting order that said Sydney in the October. So we organized everything and got back to Sydney as quick as possible before anything could change. I guess that was good news because you were going back to your family. Yeah, and I'd started to have a lot of medical issues by then. So um, just being back to my medical center and, you know, my mum and everything, we had already started trying for a baby by then. So it was good to have people around. <laughs> so did you guys, when you first got together, did you talk about how kids would fit into postings? Or I guess you're an army kid, so you know that, you know, you just have to go with the flow. But did had you talked about when you might want to have kids depending on postings and whether he would be away or? No, not really. Um, we were both army kids. So I just wanted to be a mum and we just wanted to have kids as soon as possible. So we would have been happy if it happened straight away. <laughs> so once you guys started trying, what sort of happened when you started trying for a baby? When we moved up to Darwin, I started having a lot of medical issues, cramps, severe pain, like really bad bleeding, and no one up there could give me answers. So when we got down to Sydney, I was able to get a few different opinions from gynecologists and then we looked into IVF and everything because it was endometriosis and polycystic ovaries. So I, to have IVF, I had to have the endometriosis surgery and then, um, yeah, pretty much do it straight away. So they were like, now or never. So when you found out about that, you hadn't previously had, you mentioned you just had started having issues when you were in Darwin. Had it just come on suddenly or you had always had some problems when you were younger? Or? I'd always had period pain issues but no one talks about it so I didn't know that it wasn't the norm you know I would get sent home from school in severe cramps I'd be bleeding that much that I couldn't go to school but I never knew that it was different for other people and then I was 21 when I moved to Darwin so I guess I must have had like a hormone change or something and it just got more severe I was really violently ill all the time just really fatigued and yeah my periods would go for 10 plus days how could no one tell you what it was up in Darwin? Were there no guys up in Darwin that were across either of those issues? Apparently not. And I spent days in hospital and no answers. They were so overcrowded. They just ended up sending me home. I never got any answers. So once you came back to Sydney and you got some answers, how come the next step was IVF? It was that your endo and your PCOS was so far progressed that it was just no option to try naturally? Or By that stage, we'd been trying for 12 months. We did a couple of months of Clomid, but it just made everything worse and then I was up on the wait list for surgery and they said that if I wanted to do IVF it had to be straight after the surgery before it could all come back again. With I guess sometimes because of postings you're on a time crunch so at that stage Mm -hmm. like were you going to be in Sydney for a fair while um, so you could obviously go through with the treatment and the IVF with the same clinic or how were you feeling about that? Well it was just a three-year posting but I just wanted to give it a go really and then if we had to move then we would re-evaluate to wherever we were so, so I wanted to get as much done in Sydney as I could while I knew the services so straight after your surgery you did some IVF how did that go and what was the process for that our first one was a natural cycle like I had to go through the whole process not a frozen cycle so um, it was a two-month cycle yeah the first month is to try and make your period regular so lots of tablets and then the second month all the injections and the egg retrieval and the embryo transfer 
transfer and everything. Yeah, it was quite traumatic. <laughs> the injections made me really crazy and I was still working full time at that stage. Yeah, it was insane. <laughs> and in the meantime, was your husband home or was he going away on exercises? Bit of both. Obviously for the egg retrieval, he had to be home because they do like the sperm on the same day as the retrieval, but he wasn't home. Like I had to get friends to help me with injections and stuff because I'm terrified of needles. <laughs> How many rounds of IVF did you end up doing? So we did three all up. Or we were meant to do three, but the last one, the, the embryos didn't survive the defrosting, so we couldn't go ahead with it. All unsuccessful. How devastating was it when the embryo didn't survive on the last oh, yeah. round? Pretty heartbreaking every round. No round was more devastating than the other. No, they try and keep you so positive, but it's hard because you want to be realistic because you know, you know, there's less than a 30% chance that it would take. Yeah. Yeah. It was just devastating straight away. Like I never made it through the two week wait before I started bleeding. So I knew before I had to go back to the clinic that it hadn't worked. So when you first started out with IVF and the fertility treatments, had you and your husband spoken about, okay, well, this is how many rounds we'll do, or had you just decided to just see what happens? Yeah, we decided to just take it a month at a time and see what happened. And he didn't want to put any extra pressure on me if I didn't want to keep going ahead. Yeah, he just wanted to make sure that I was okay the whole time. How did you come to the decision to stop IVF? Uh, I just didn't want to put my body through that again. I couldn't handle the anxiety and the heartbreak and just mentally it was just insane. And I didn't want to live like that for, you know, I knew other people that had done like 20 days of IVF and still not had sickness. I didn't want to be that person. In the meantime, were you still able to, I guess, not, I don't want to say like enjoy life, but you kind of, your focus kind of goes towards all about you know your cycle and when you have to do this and when you have to do that appointment did it sort of start yeah. to take over your life yeah well I was having I had to have blood tests every day so I was driving like an hour every morning before work across Sydney to have blood tests and then back to work and then you had to count everything like you had to call in several times a day like everything was about that and even before we did the IVF being intimate and stuff it wasn't fun anymore because it was a job like yeah. you had to do this at this time and it just put a lot of pressure on everything by the third round that wasn't able to go ahead how many how long had it been from when you'd started trying to the end of your IVF journey probably close to three years so that's three years of I guess kind of being in limbo and yeah. just working your life around fertility treatments and IVF and up and yeah. down of you know it not being successful and like too because I was so young like when we did IVF I was 25 and you got so many much judgment even from IVF doctors about being so young why do you think that is I have no idea I guess um, people think that IVF is for older people that can't conceive you know I got questions so much like and it, it's already a hard process I don't understand why people have to make it harder it took so long to get referred to IVF and then to get there was just not very nice. So I went to a few clinics before I found one that I would settle with. So once you decided, okay, I can't do another round of IVF, let's look at other options. What did you and your husband sort of talk through as another option to starting your family? We had met a friend that was a foster carer. So then we started talking to her and decided that we would look into it and get the assessment done and 
and see how we feel and just what would happen. And then we found out that in New South Wales, foster to adopt was an option. So we decided, you know, on an agency and we went ahead with it and we thought if it's not for us, we don't have to continue. But we're the kind of people that just jump into things. <laughs> yeah. So we just jumped right in. <laughs> how did you think that it would work with Defence Life and your husband being away? Was that ever an issue during the process of being approved to be a foster carer? The only issue was that it took longer because he was away and couldn't be here for the training. So we had to wait until there was training days where he would be home. Obviously, to do the assessment, they need both of us there. So instead of taking three months to get approved, it took nine. But it wasn't because they weren't supportive. It was just because he wasn't here to attend the training. Once you were approved to be foster carers, what was the process from there? Like how long was it before you were placed with the child? 24 hours. Well, <laughs> oh, so, okay, the yeah. application submitted, you're approved and now you've got a child. Is that how yeah. it works? Or? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. So we did um, like the in-house assessments and once you pass that, I don't know whether it's still the same now, but then we had to do a two-day course. So that was over a Saturday and Sunday. And then on the Monday, we got called about kids, a sibling group of three. And were you thinking that it would be that quick or were you thinking, okay, we'll get it all done and then we'll wait a few months, like wait until we get the right <laughs> child comes along or? I had no idea. <laughs> I'm so, still going with the flow. I was you, still working full time. I was manager of a candle shop. Yeah, I had no idea. I literally had to ring up and be like, so um, I can't come to work tomorrow because we have kids. Oh my <laughs> but gosh. I'd been open with them about the whole process. They knew about the IVF. They knew that we were becoming foster carers. So I was really fortunate that they were really supportive. That weekend you went from being childless and hoping and wishing and wanting to start a family to a family of five on the Monday? Yep. So how did it work? Did they just call you and say, okay, we've got these kids or how does talk us through it? Yeah, it's literally just a phone call. Do you have three beds or a cot and whatever they need at the time? We've got a boy and two girls or whatever. Can you take them? We'll be there in an hour. And then once you say yes, you can, like they're yeah. there in the hour and then what happens? Yeah. And then they give you paperwork to say that they're in your care. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much it. They <laughs> Then you have kids. What were the ages of the three kids that came on the Monday? 12 months seven and nine and then do you like have to look at getting them into schools or like what happens those ones we only had for two weeks so we didn't need to look into schools for them but most of the other ones because we've had close to 30 all up yeah most of them we had to look into daycares and schools and get uniforms all that kind of stuff how did it come about that I guess you ended up having permanent kids that your foster parents for I guess so you we mentioned you had 30 kids but some of those were just for short term so some were like just emergency placements while they looked into family and some were respite so just for weekends here and there and yeah some ended up staying but they all came to us as emergency so they all came from the removal from their birth families straight to us so they were obviously pretty traumatized by the time we got them I guess at first you kind of have to just tell yourself that they're there for a holiday until you know more information I mean it's hard to not be heartbroken but every situation is different but the first lot that we got that stayed with us were the July so we became carers in the February and July we got emergency placement of three kids and then by December we had a court order to say that they were in permanent care till they were 18. With you guys? Yeah. 
Have you heard about our Lots of Love Care Packages? An anonymous and free box of self-care goodies that can totally make a military spouse's day. It's a way for friends and family to send an acknowledgement in the mail to a military spouse to let them know they're awesome and the Military Wife Life community has their back. Pop over to the Military Wife Life website after you finish listening to this episode, of course, and sign someone up for the Lots of Love box. Obviously, you guys were doing well. You had the three permanent kids that you were foster parents for. And then how did it come about that you had a call for some other kids to come? So we thought that was it. We thought, okay, cool. We're a family with three kids. That's it. We're (laughs) happy with that. We started looking into adoption of the three. Um, Then Nathan went away for six months and then he came home. And yeah, we got a phone call to say, can you take some more kids? And then they were a big sibling group and they wanted us to take two. I said, sure, but can we take, they wanted us to have the two youngest ones, but I didn't have enough anchor points in my car. So I was like, can we take the little one and then we'll take the teenage girl as well? Yeah. So that was interesting. And I was freaking out about having a teenager because I was, you know, still mid twenties and feeling young myself. Yeah. Worked out in the end. And then their brother's placement fell through a month later. So they're like, oh, can you have this kid for a week until we find a new placement? And then they just never found a new placement because they knew once he was with us that he would be staying. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I love it how you mentioned, and Nathan went away for six months and then he came back. Like the six months was just like, yeah, I was just suddenly a mother of uh, three kids. My husband went away. It was all good. Like you're still feeling out how to deal with these kids. You're feeling your way through from an age where they already have certain things that they like and don't like. And I guess certain ways to deal with them so like you're being thrown into that when they're already at an age where they have I guess established patterns like how did it go like catching up with okay we're foster parents now we've got kids and husband's going away and you're juggling like what even happened to your job? Like, how did that all work? <laughs> I just couldn't go one day and that was it. They're like, we'll leave you on the books as casual. And then I never went back. <laughs> oh my gosh. I mean, I guess that was what you were hoping and dreaming for. You'd always wanted to be a mum, yeah. but it was like, it's one day you're not. And then one day you are. And it's like, wow, bam. During the time that your husband was away, how did the kids also go with coping with that? Because I guess, you know, being foster kids, they also... Mm-hmm have come from high trauma um, families and yeah trauma and people leaving and coming and going so how did they cope with your husband going away they weren't too bad actually like there was no big dramas we video chatted him every chance that we got and we had lots of photos and stuff and I guess they were a bit little to realize really what was happening so you get the call to take on some other kids and you said that they knew you would end up keeping all three of them (laughs) So you had six kids. What ages were they? Okay, one, two, two three-year-olds, a four-year-old and a 13-year-old. Right. So every sort of situation and every phase that you could possibly go through at the one time. So you had like baby, toddler, three-year-olds, four-year-olds who have their own quirks and then a teenager. Yeah, and they were all had developmental delays. And so I had five in nappies. Wow. Like, so every hour, like every half an hour, you're changing a nappy pretty much. Yeah. And everywhere we went, we had to take two double prams. (laughs) So how long ago was this that you became a foster parent? Eight and a half years ago. So you've been on that journey for a fair few years now. When did you come to the decision that you wanted to go forward and make things official and adopt the kids? We knew as soon as we got them that we would apply for adoption. (laughs) 
there was no question. We knew straight away. And so what do you have to do to make that official? I know it's changed a lot now, but when we started the process, they had to have been in your care for two years before you could apply. And then you have to do a seminar on adoption and then assessments and then wait for a court date. So it took four years from inquiring to having it finalised. In saying that, it took four years of that process. Before that, you had three to nearly four years of IVF and trying to start a Mm -hmm. family. And then at what stage was it getting close to your husband getting posted away? Because how does that work with adoption and foster kids with going to a different state? How does that even work? Yeah, well, the kids can't leave the state or you have to forfeit the adoption. So two years into it, he got a Darwin posting and we fought it and got a compassionate posting in Sydney. 12 months into the compassionate posting, they said, no, we can't keep you here any longer. You go into Brisbane. And we weren't even at the court stage yet. Right. So you knew that you you still had a fair way to go, but there was no turning back at that stage. Obviously, you were 100% wanting to adopt. Yeah. So we had done the seminar. We had done the waiting period. We had started the assessment. So we were on the downhill towards the end, but we just weren't quite up to the court application yet. After the assessment, it has to go to the minister for approval to say that you have the department support to go through with the adoption because they go to court on your behalf. And then it goes to legal and you have to do all your affidavits and everything. And then it gets sent to the court and it could be two months or three months, like you don't know. So you can either choose to go into the court for the physical hearing or like, you know, Hema say, yeah, they're adopted or you can wait and get a phone call. And because we couldn't be guaranteed that they would all be heard on the same day, we opted to the phone call so that if one were done a week before the other, we could just tell them all together that they were adopted once it all went through. But in the meantime, your husband had to post to Brisbane or what happened? So in the January, he had to go to Brisbane and we were stuck in Sydney indefinitely until we got a court date. With six kids <laughs> by yourself? Yep with special needs and high behavior needs. How did you cope with that? I struggled a lot. (laughs) It was really hard just not having that person of support there. And like we had a few mental health issues with kids and just not having that extra person there, it made a huge difference in the dynamics of the family and like all the appointments and stuff. It was just so hard. And our school at the time was not very supportive. So it was, it was just really hard. Like there wasn't a lot of support from services. It was really hard to find mental health services for children um, waiting lists for everything was long so I just felt like I didn't have any help yeah you were stuck you couldn't go towards the help which would have been your husband but yeah if you chose to move that would have defeated the whole process and yeah so I guess you had to make that sacrifice in order to have the family that you'd both been hoping for yeah and obviously you know the kids were stressed because they were like well the court still has to say yes even though like we knew it would happen you know you can never tell them a definite either way or a date or anything because if it doesn't go that way they can't cope so you just have to go with the flow and just try and reassure them it was just really hard because I couldn't give them the answers that they wanted because oh I didn't know when your husband moved 
for his posting and you went MWDU, mm-hmm. obviously he was going and you didn't know how long you were going to be apart for. So how did he cope going knowing that he's leaving you with six kids and it's all for a greater purpose, but still that he would be so far away? He just felt heartbroken for me because he could see how difficult it was in Sydney and then just not being able to be there. He just felt guilty. <laughs> how long did it take for you to get the news that the adoptions had gone through? At the end of May, we got the phone call to say that it had all been finalised and they were adopted. And where were you when you got the phone call? Having a meltdown in my lounge room trying to get the kids out the door to go to school. (laughs) And I guess that was a bit of happy news, but you still had to deal with getting the kids to school. Yeah, and I was trying to keep a poker face because I wanted Nathan and I to be able to tell the kids together. And yeah, they were like, who's on the phone? And asking like lots of questions. I was like, oh, no one. So once you got the news, what has to happen then? Is it just basically that's it you'll get your paperwork in the mail to say that they're adopted or like how does that work we got scanned copy of the paperwork within days but yeah legally that's it they were ours we got a letter from fax to for medicare and everything nathan flew down that day so we had an adoption dinner to surprise the kids and tell them that they were adopted and then that week we were on our way up to queensland you guys don't do anything in halves do you no (laughs) you like to do things quick like when you can it's like okay foster parents bam here's your kids okay adopted bam we're moving So like that's a pretty hectic, oh, it's not a few years, it's a, it's, it was a long process, but like have you even had a chance to like breathe and think, wow, what have we been through? Oh, not really because we came up and started the kids at school because we already had them pre-enrolled because we knew that the house that Nathan was in was where we would all be living. So I could do all that and they were just waiting for the confirmation that it had been done. So the day we drove up here, the next day they were able to start at school and then we went back for the removals a week later. So I wanted them to start the new school before the holidays so that they didn't have anxiety around that. How has the process gone with moving and coming back together as a family and I guess settling into your new normal and going forward as a family of eight? Yes, so uh, the 10 weeks that we've been up here, we've been together for three weeks. (laughs) (laughs) True defence life. So you're like, you're a true typical defence family. (laughs) Yeah. So has it at least been better in the fact that when I guess Nathan comes home from exercise or being away, he's coming home to you guys and not an empty house hundreds of kilometres away? Definitely. And just the change and knowing that they're adopted and that it's permanent and the school is very supportive up here. We've already found some amazing services through the public system. We've got a good GP, like just all the extra support has helped immensely and we're not having half the issues that we were having in Sydney. So could you have predicted how you would go from I guess, the heartache of infertility to now having such a full family? like When we first got married and we like joked about kids, we joked about having six kids. And then we had all the infertility things. So we thought we would never be parents. And then you never know what's going to (laughs) happen. So really you predicted that you would have six kids and it came true. (laughs) Yeah. What happened with the car situation with having six kids? Because it's not like there's a large range of cars that can fit that many people in them. Yeah. So when we got the kids, I had a little Subaru hatchback. (laughs) Then um, I just went on, I don't know, Gumtree or car sales or whatever was big at the time (laughs) and just found the cheapest people mover that I could and just got it as an interim until I found a better car. So I just ended up with 
a van straight away. And so how do the kids feel about it all being official now and I guess feeling settled in the fact that they know that they're with you permanently forever that's it your your mum and dad they're super excited and they were very happy to be able to start the new school with our surname and just be normal kids not the foster kids what do you do to kind of I guess take time out for yourself or look after yourself with six kids and all of that now that all the paperwork and all the appointments are done and you guys have sort of settled into life up in Brisbane even though your husband's been away back and forth yeah so I love physical culture so wherever we've been I've if there was a club around I've tried to always stick to that obviously it's a way to meet friends as well and to get a support network wherever I am plus it gives my mind something else to think about yeah and do you make use of any of the spouse support I guess is there any like a community house or ways up there of you making some defense friends in Sydney I had a lot of defense friends but because the kids are high behavior it's really hard because a lot of people really judgmental because they don't know how to deal with kids with needs so I've joined like special needs support groups or large family support groups like you'd be amazed how many families are around with five or more kids and I guess mental health wise what do you do to stay on top of your mental health well I just make sure that I always do something for myself like I've been bushwalking to clear my head and I always make sure that I go to fizzy because even if I'm having like a bad day I just feel good after it what are the ages of the kids now are they all at school or preschool Yep, they're all at school now. So there's a seven-year-old, three nine-year-olds, a 10-year-old and a 19-year-old. Oh my gosh. I I just can't (laughs) even believe that you could, when you first started out on that journey, you could, you were going into it and all coming out of the IVS journey thinking we're not going to have a family and you've got this huge family now. I think we were fortunate too, because we didn't have biological kids. So we didn't have an expectation of what parenting is. So um, everything that the kids went through or happened to us was normal because we didn't know any better so we didn't have this or you shouldn't be doing this you shouldn't be like this because we had nothing to compare it to and so what have you learned along the way I guess about defense life I guess nothing that we didn't already know but if you need help ask for it because if you don't ask they don't know what's happening so they can't support you and would you have any advice for other defense families considering or looking into becoming foster carers just ask as many questions beforehand as you can because there's like never a silly question and you're not going to know that it's right for you if you don't have all the information. What should their first step be if they're just thinking about it? I would email different agencies and just get a feel like you know when you talk to someone who's a right fit for you and reach out like I wish there was Facebook groups when we first started out because there's so many people out there with experience that can like mentor you through the process. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I hope your husband comes back for a stretch of time soon so you guys can really settle into life up in Brisbane together because it's been a long process to get there and finally be a complete family and all together in the one spot. Yes, that would be delightful. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, yeah, it'd it'd just be just for someone to even make you a cup of tea while you're wrangling those kids to go to school. I so hope you were able to relate or take something away from today's episode. There are definite ups and downs to military life, but let's get the conversation happening so we can see that we are all in this together. We are all just doing our best. So until next week, you got this. Let's do this together one day at a time.
Thank you so much for tuning in. If this episode has touched you, helped you, or given you that extra confidence to keep going, to continue to hold down the home front, to continue to do all the things, I would so appreciate it if you could pop into Apple Podcasts and subscribe to the podcast and leave a review, a comment about what you would like to hear more of, or just some encouraging words. If you want to suggest a guest, I am always looking for new people to talk to. You can do that by jumping over to the website www.militarywifelife.com.au and clicking on our podcast page. I would love to hear from you. 